Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello and welcome everyone, my name is Vaughn Hyde. I'm the host of IndiePod, an indie games podcast. With the help of my illustrious co-host, the biggest of average Josh Boys, we bring you all the indie games news you need to know, as well as shouting out some amazing indie games over on crowdfunding sites and occasionally derailing to a conversation about big anime chesticles. We are so happy to be part of the HP Video Game Podcast Network alongside so many other awesome gaming podcasts. So if you love indie games, make sure to listen in each and every Friday. This show is part of the RetroZap.com podcast network. I don't want to set the world on fire. I just want to start a flame in your heart. In my heart I have but one desire, and that one is you, no other will do. What's up, Argonauts, and welcome to another Retro Gaming Podcast. This is episode 122 of the Rcast. I am your host, David Gilson, and with me is a man who is waiting for his bad dude shower curtain, Robert Workman. Okay, look, not all of us can have an awesome Skeletor shower curtain like you. <laughs> I have a Portal one, but I, apparently, yeah, I do want to get a bad dude's one. Why not? You know? Why not? Am I, yeah. am I a bad enough dude to take a shower? That's right. <laughs> indeed, indeed. And uh, yeah, and we are actually joined here by our special guest here, uh, Taylor Lyle. So how's it going there, Tay? Uh, it's going well. Can't complain. Can't complain. Thank you for having me on the show. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we basically have you on here so as to talk about Fallout games. So basically the whole Fallout franchise, uh, which does have a very storied franchise that certainly goes beyond the, uh, you know, with uh, with like Fallout 3, like how like a lot of people I feel like kind of got onto the franchise from. But uh, we'll be going over like, you know, the, the history of Fallout games as well as like spinoffs and uh, all sorts of like history with it. Uh, but first, uh, we're going to get into some news, starting off with the, the the reveal of the second season trailer for Castlevania. So this is like the Netflix series. And uh, this is looking really, really cool here, Robert. Yeah, and they've actually doubled up the episode count. So instead of four, like we got in the first season, we're going to get eight. But on top of that, David, I want to add a little something else. They revealed a character that we haven't seen since Castlevania Curse of Darkness. I don't know if you remember Hector. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Hector is actually featured in the series. They haven't totally given out his side of the story yet, and I'm kind of actually glad for that because that means, you know, we actually have something to really look forward to. I want to see how he gets introduced into the story. And it just goes to show, like, Adi Shankar and his team over there, um, Warren and all them, they, they're really going all out to get the fan service going. It's, it's remarkable stuff. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like, I, I imagine, uh, you know, that they'll have um, have like a whole uh, origin story for for Hector. And uh, I'm, I'm actually hoping that they'll kind of get deeper into um, uh, into like the relationship between Alucard and Dracula, uh, as far as like how that whole relationship kind of like uh, just like fell apart, really, because we, we saw like a little glimpse of it in that four episode run uh, for like the first season, the 
quote unquote season, if you will. Um, and uh, it would be cool to kind of, you know, to, uh, to dig a little deeper into it, to kind of really sink our fangs, I guess, if you will, into, uh, into <laughs> how that, how that relationship kind of turns sour. So <laughs> uh, you would bring about a vampire pun waiting. <laughs> of course, of course. Uh, so Taylor, so I was kind of curious on what your, uh, what your thoughts are after seeing this uh, season two trailer. Oof. I, I, shook is probably the best. Thing I, <laughs> I didn't know what I, what to expect. I had some low expectations when I looked at it, and so when I watched it, I was just blown away. Honestly, yeah, for sure, for sure. And like, what, what were your thoughts too? Like with uh, with kind of that the short, like I guess like test season is uh, kind of like the best way of, of like describing it. Like uh, from um, was it like from like last year? I believe is when it came out. Yeah, I I don't know with things like that because uh, I felt the same way with like the first season of the Walking Dead TV series. Uh, it was like kind of like you know just laid some foundation. It wasn't like too like serious or didn't put too many like plot points. It was just kind of like a nice like kind of like you know baby steps and then like you know they, something to just build on if that makes sense. For sure, yeah, yeah, and um, it, it really kind of felt like I guess. Netflix not really quite knowing how to market this type of show or knowing like whether it was going to be a success and obviously there are like pilot episodes like to kind of see if you know to see if like a show is uh, you know can really kind of get off the ground but in this particular case we got like really a pilot season um so you know having like four episodes in like the first season definitely left uh, like fans like wanting more it was done really really well like you know a lot of props there to Adi Shankar and his team uh for bringing you know bringing that Castlevania series to light and really kind of doing justice to the franchise, like even more so than Konami has really uh, in, re- in recent memory. So uh, I'm, I'm really, really excited to see what season two brings. Uh, it just looks like it's going to be more, more horror, more gore, more action. And, uh, you know, just more of these characters that, uh, that we've grown to love so far. And, uh, you know, in, with the first four episodes, so we'll see how it all plays out. Um, but Robert, like there was like another cool, like reveal here actually uh, for, um, for like uh, those like crash bandicoot related, uh, where we got to see uh, and you know also just kind of like find out really uh, about like a special Crash Bandicoot themed Nintendo Switch. Yeah, apparently Activision made three different models. Uh, these are green and orange systems uh, with the uh, the uh, what was it, Aku Aku mask on the back with the mm-hmm. game logo. There were three of these consoles made. And they were given out to certain influencers overseas. Um, so what happened is I put together a story for comicbook.com/gaming, where of course I make my living, um, and I basically they had a, a reveal video from somebody I think one of those Dutch um, YouTubers, um, and he just showed off this box where he got a shirt. He got like a uh, Crash Bandicoot uh, switch holder because he has like a statue where the hands where he actually put the switch in his hands. Yeah. And then he showed off this limited edition system that looks freaking amazing. And, you know, I, I can't help but wonder why only three systems were made. You know, Activision, m- make a deal with Nintendo. I'm pretty sure that, you know, they, they produce these and you'd probably make a killing with the Crash Bandicoot fans because this is a, a fun little collectible. It, it's very cool to see something like it offered. But like I said, only three like yeah. you couldn't make 30 of these. <laughs> I mean, it makes it like super rare for sure. And um, certainly something for like any like Crash Bandicoot fan, I imagine would want to get their hands on. Um, I imagine since there are only three, um, I imagine you'll see at least like one of these go up on eBay if it hasn't already, honestly. <laughs> um, but it, it is like really, really cool to kind of see, um, you know, to see like these, you know, kind of custom systems come out, uh, even if they are in super limited supply. Um, but Taylor, like, I was, I was kind of curious on what your thoughts are when you first saw this, uh, this, uh, this particular switch. It was really interesting and it made me wonder why the hell was there no deal made to make more of these? Like imagine <laughs> having like that sort of bundle just going out with a copy of the game 
like not only would that increase like switch sales but that would just have like crash fans just like pissing their pants full of excitement oh yeah i, w- I would definitely double dip and get another- <laughs> I-, I wouldn't even open the box and if i did i would just like get a display case and just like flaunt it i wouldn't even play it just something just to show off yeah now like imagine if there was like a fallout theme switch like how how would that look in your eyes (laughs) (laughs) well Well, i'd probably start crying with tears (laughs) (laughs) listen i i love fallout i don't know i don't know how i words can't explain how much i love this franchise (laughs) <laughs> for sure, for sure. I, I I can at least like imagine since like this this particular crash set has like a Crash Bandicoot statue that like holds the switch for you that you know you, you would have to have like the Vault Boy like kind of like holding the switch. Um, you know, in, in, in this particular case, in this hypothetical um, <laughs> limit limited edition switch uh, for you know based around Fallout, but um, you know it's kind of funny you mentioned that David because back during PAX East, uh, Bethesda held a party and they were giving out a limited edition Wolfenstein switch. Oh yeah, that was beautiful. Uh, uh, I was like, yeah. I was like, just put that in my bag. I'll just walk. Yeah, <laughs> it's just kind of funny. Like, you know, the switch is starting to catch up on this third party stuff. And it kind of makes me wonder, like, you know, why wasn't the port of Spyro the Dragon Reignited trilogy announced? You know, that would be right mm. at home on the switch with a purple and yellow system. Activate. Oh, yeah. There you go. <laughs> Listen up. <laughs> you know, just throwing that out there, you know. But yeah, I mean, it's just really cool what they did with this crash. But like I said, this would have been something like. If they had maybe made 50 of these, sold a few to raise some money for extra life or whatever, it would have been more than worth it. But maybe, you know, who knows? Maybe they'll bring them back someday. Yeah, maybe, maybe. So, like, uh, we'll, we'll kind of, like, keep, uh, you know, keep our fingers crossed for all that, uh, you know, and, and especially for Spyro, like, which I imagine there will be, like, a Switch port of that. That'll come out later, just like how they did for, uh, for Crash Bandicoot. So we'll kind of keep our fingers crossed, but chances are, like, we'll, we'll definitely see that. Um, one thing that we definitely didn't think that we would see, though, uh, is like a new portal, which seems like it's more likely to actually happen uh, since there was the co-writer for Portal 2, Jay Pinkerton, uh, who recently uh, was discovered to have come back to Valve and uh, is working on something. We just don't know what, so, you know, since Valve likes to keep very hush hush on all those details. But um, R- Robert, I was, I was kind of curious on what you think this could possibly mean as far as, uh, you know, like along with um with like valve you know buying uh buying you know campus santos and like you know you know like seems like they're kind of like starting to gear up to get back into the publishing game well i'll tell you it ain't gonna be for that mobile game the hell it was (laughs) actually now it's release date for that and everybody collectively groaned again um but no they're they're ramping up for something in 2019 but like you said david the question is what obviously it's not half-life 3 it'll never be half-life 3 but Keep no, your fingers crossed. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, just because Duke Nukem Forever happened does not mean Half Life Three is going to. That's what I'm saying. Like anything can happen now at this point. So. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, for now, it's great to see him back because he left last year with a couple of the writers. People were wondering if Valve was going to change too much, and you know they were all concerned that the only game on their slate was that disappointing mobile game but you know now with him back you know there, there's a little more hope behind it there's a little possibility that we'll see left for dead 3 because he worked on left for dead mm, uh yeah. well you know possibility of a new portal game maybe a prequel something like that but i mean the possibilities out there but it really could be anything it's valve so you know predicting too much on valve is a bit of a gamble very rarely do they surprise us i think the last time they really surprised us was when gabe newell went to the uh, playstation press conference at e3 and announced portal 2 cross um, what was it cross support for steam and playstation 4 or 3. yeah it has, it has some sort of like um like basically the two different versions kind of talk to each other basically like i think yeah. you can like transfer like your save or something along those lines 
Yeah, something like that. But it, it just very rarely does that company really surprise. But it sounds like they're building up for something, especially after picking up Campo Santo, because nobody saw that coming. Mm-hmm, absolutely. So, like, I'm really kind of curious now what Camposanto is, is, you know, is working on that uh, caught Valve's attention that, you know, that, that made him want, you know, want to buy the studio. Um, and also, like, you know, as far as like this, having Jay Pinkerton come back and, uh, you know, also like announcing, too, that they, they actually have several top secret games in development, Half-Life 3, maybe, um, <laughs> that, um, that, you know, who, you know, who knows, like, as far as like what Valve is doing, uh, like, you know, on the publisher front, uh, possibly, you know, obviously, like, they have, like, you know, Steam going on that, like, Steam has kind of like been like their baby for, uh, for like a long while lately. Um, but it would be, it would be really cool to kind of, you know, see them kind of get back into games development, games publishing and. I don't know, just kind of reach, re, you know, to return to these like popular franchises that we just haven't seen in a while. So if we could see a Portal 3, I'd be super excited because I love that franchise. Yeah, I mean, nothing wrong with good Portal 3. Uh, I, I did love how Portal 2 turned out, even though it was like, God, that guy's a dick. <laughs> oh, w- w- which one? Um, oh, the, uh, w- what was that? Wheatley? Wheatley. Oh, Wheatley. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah he was. was you no, know, he was all like, you know, helpful and everything like that. So, wait a minute. Wait a minute. No, screw you. No. Yeah. No. no. <laughs> it was a great, like, character turn, honestly, like in, in like any game, I feel like. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Something like that. But the question is, what is it and how long will we have to wait? And is it going to be disappointing like um, Artifact was? Mm, yeah, yeah, for, uh, for, for sure, for sure. We act like that game doesn't exist. We just yeah. it doesn't happen. Seriously, <laughs> I, I still remember like watching a video. It was, here is a new part of this great gaming universe. It is Artifact. And I was like, oh, <laughs> it was amazing. <laughs> Welcome. For now, we're going to jump into the part of the show here called What Do You Play? And we get to the games we've all been playing or have recently beat. So, Tay, with you being our special guest, why don't you tell us what you've been playing? Well, recently I just finished up playing that uh, this VR game called Pixel Ripped in 1989. It actually came out yesterday, but I got my hands on it about a week early because the publishers were so kind as to give me a code for the PlayStation VR. Mm. Uh, so it's definitely a great game. It's actually on sale right now because I think its usual price is supposed to be like $24.99, but there's like a discount, so it's only $20.00 across the board and it's available on playstation vr htc vive and oculus rift it is definitely a great game i don't want to go too much into it because i'm actually currently writing my review right now and i'm not (laughs) sure if the developers will listen to the podcast because i'm actually really good friends with them so (laughs) i don't want to spoil too much about what's going on but what i will say is my review is coming out soon for that game and i definitely recommend playing it it was one of the best VR games I've ever played and anybody who like follows my work knows like I love me some good VR shit so <laughs> okay um, can you can can you give like some kind of like elevator pitch I guess like for what the game is like about just kind of to whet people's appetites I guess on it oh yeah so basically it's just like it's a game within a game so basically you're playing as this uh character named dot who's like an inhabitant of this like digital world and there i forget the name of the villain but it's like this bad guy is able to like break the realities of the digital world with the like the actual like reality or in this case like the real life within the game and so she has to work with this gamer named nicola i think and i think that's her name and you have to basically work together and it's like a lot it kind of reminds me of an 8-bit Mega Man game now that i think about it 
Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if if I recall, I played this at PAX East. Uh, you probably they actually had they had the creator there, and she was walking me through it. And she was in this cute little Metroid style costume. It was, it was actually. <laughs> oh, I know yeah, what game to talk about now. Yeah, 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 she was dressed. She was dressed as Dot, and it was adorable. <laughs> yeah, uh, sh- shout out to my buddy Job Stoffer for hooking me up with the demo for that because that was a lot of fun. Because oh, they even designed like the the VR space like an '80s bedroom. Like I yeah. really wanted to just sit around and mess with a Macintosh computer that was sitting there. But... It was yeah, it was one of the best games I played at PAX East. Probably the best, honestly. I I think that's what I even said in my preview too. Like I, when I was done the preview, I was like like the build they brought to PAX East. I was like really upset. I wanted to keep playing. <laughs> nice nice how about you there robert i'm working on a few things <laughs> just getting busy from my uh, trip to rtx austin this weekend um so they have a number of different games i've been playing on switch i've been still working on Mega Man x legacy collection one and two i think those are excellent collections mm, yeah. uh but also got dead cells which is coming out next week it is a metroidvania style game can't talk too much about it yet because i'm still under embargo but if you like the steam version uh you're in good hands Mm. um also been checking out uh iconoclasts it just it's going to be out for nintendo switch very soon that i can talk about a little bit because i really enjoyed it on playstation 4 playstation Vita. i thought it was a great little metroidvania style adventure with a terrific story because it actually goes in depth with the story in terms of your like your lead character and the secondary characters that you talk to i don't want to go too detailed because it kind of spoils a little bit but it's really well done and that's coming out for Switch. And I also have been playing Salt and Sanctuary. Now, this is a game that came out from Ska Studios a while ago. It came out for PlayStation 4, PlayStation Vita. It is coming to Nintendo Switch this week. And I tell you, I think I found like a newfound love for it on Switch. I, mm. I think it, it looks really good in portable mode and TV mode. And it plays very well. It's kind of like a 2D Dark Souls type of yeah, game, right? Yeah, it definitely has that Dark Souls kind of spirit. It, it's very cool based what I've uh, played so far. And it's uh, definitely something I recommend. There's a lot of good Switch games out there. It's kind of ridiculous, but it, oh, in yeah. a good way, in a good way. And, you know, we got Ogami uh, HD coming up too. So, <laughs> And Code of Princess EX just came out, I think. I haven't played that yet. I'm yes. still working my way through it. Um, as far as what else I've been playing, I've also been dabbling a little bit with No Man's Sky. Oh yeah, the uh, next has, update, right? Yeah, the next update. It's it's kind of funny, you know. It's like one of those Street Fighter Five things, you know. Like the game comes out and it doesn't have all the features, and you're disappointed, and, and you know <laughs> all this trash talk and everything. Then a few years later, rolls around and be like, "Wait, is this the game it was always meant to be?" You know, yeah. it's like, <laughs> I don't know what it is, but I mean, it's it looks like it's coming together pretty nicely. I still need to play a little bit more of it, but I'm impressed so far. So I wouldn't yeah. say I'm hooked, but I'm liking what I see. Okay. And then finally, our good buddy Dan Adelman finally released Chasm. Uh, this is a game mm. that's been featured a number of times at uh, PAX shows for PlayStation 4, PlayStation Vita. It just came out. A very cool, uh, randomly designed Metroidvania-style adventure. We seem to be saying that a lot lately. People really like that design, I guess. it's Yeah, the genre is hot right now, for sure. It, yeah. yeah, I mean, <laughs> doing, it, doing it the right way, like between Dead Cells and Iconoclast. But Chasm is a lot of fun as well. I, I really dig the um, 16-bit style design of that game. I'm still working through it, so I can't give it a review just yet, but I do like what I've seen so far. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, as far as what I've been playing, uh, really the only the only game I've had time for lately actually is Octopath Traveler. Um, you know, I just absolutely love this game. Uh, it's 
really, really cool. It's definitely a reason to pick up a Switch, I feel like. Uh, this was actually the game that um, that actually convinced my friend Andrew to pick up a Switch. Because, like, I've shown him, like, games on there, like, you know, your Zeldas, your Mario Karts, like, what have you. Like, all the big heavy hitters, pretty much. Um, but when I started talking to him about, you know, about Octopath Traveler and showing him, like, you know, the game and everything, he's just like... God damn it! I gotta pick this thing up now. <laughs> so um, it's uh, it, yeah, it, it's just re- you know really cool. It's like um, like almost like a new age SNES style RPG, pretty much. And um, yeah, I'll, I'll, and, and even though you can go around and pick up like all eight characters in the world, I actually uh, explicitly chose to only pick up four of them so I could focus on those four because I know you can only have like a team of four in there. Um, and also kind of like it, it helps like kind of save on time for me too. Like as far as like just focusing on those characters and going through like their stories, like. I went through the uh, the four like because each each character has like four chapters basically in their story. So I got I went through the fourth chapter for one of them, and um, so basically just have the fourth chapter left for like the other three basically that I'm doing. And so uh, once I do that, um, I'm not sure what happens uh, after that. I imagine there'll be like some big battle or something they do like uh, afterwards. Although I know that the uh, like I know ahead of time that the stories don't like converge by any means. Like you know come together for great evil whatever. Like it doesn't really do that route as far as I know. Um, but I'm thinking maybe like once I go through like the final chapters for each of those four characters, I might pick up the other four just to just kind of like see what they're all about and you know use my overpowered characters basically to you know like plow through their chapter ones. So, um, but yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun, really cool. I love the job system in it as well, like where you can pick up like a second job for each of the characters. So, um, you know, being able to do like some like weird combinations, like having Primrose the dancer as a cleric as well. So basically, a dancing healer, more or less, um, is, is really cool. As well as like uh, Alfin the apothecary uh, being a merchant, even though you know as an apothecary he doesn't accept any monetary uh, rewards or anything. He just goes around out of the goodness of his heart. But he's also a merchant on the side. So, <laughs> so uh, just kind of playing around like uh, you know with like the job system, and you know it works out very very well. It's a lot of fun and uh, totally digging it. So if you don't already have this or if you're looking for a reason to pick up a switch and you're a big rpg fan uh, especially old school rpgs this is the one to go with for sure. see from what i've been hearing this game has been like restocking in japan and then selling out almost instantaneously later yeah. you know it's kind of ridiculous just how popular it is and how nuts the jrpg scene is going because of it uh they even got an honest game trailer this week where they picked on the grinding <laughs> yeah there's a lot of grinding i'm like 100 hours of grinding <laughs> yeah it, it, it actually, it's actually kind of funny because I, I've, I have been hearing people complain about the grinding and i don't really have any complaints of it myself and i think it's just because of the way i'm playing the game because of the fact i am focusing on just the four characters so i don't have to worry about leveling up eight people i'm, I'm only leveling up four of them um so it allows me i guess to, to kind of power level quicker uh just by going through the game basically so when i'm going from town to town and i'm walking there i'm going through all the random battles and so they're just kind of leveling up that way um as well as whenever i see like a chest i'm taking all the you know all the uh all the different routes basically to get to those you know to to those chests and so it basically just you know uh that basically kind of like leads into going into more battles so i'm just going to level up naturally that way pretty much so i think because of the way i'm playing it i don't have to grind like almost at all pretty much um it just kind of worked out that way i guess for me in that regard but i can certainly see like where you would have to grind if you are going through the game picking up all the characters trying to level them up and all that stuff so i can certainly understand that uh so that's uh, that's what do you plan so uh, i do have a game code here to give away uh this is for galaxy of pen and paper so galaxy of pen and paper is a turn-based space meta rpg about a group of players rolling dice in the year 1999 Create your own Game Master and Dream RPG party, explore distant planets, 
fight weird uh, aliens and save the galaxy in the era of dial-up internet and floppy disks. So if that sounds like a jam, then definitely jump on this. Uh, again, this is for uh, this is for Steam, actually. So the code is 6V6FLZYG9TNAFZ8. So I'll say that again. N-A-F-Z-8. So that's Galaxy, a pen and paper on Steam. Enjoy. Welcome back to the Stage of History. So with that, we have the Stage of History, which is a celebration of retro titles that deserve a spot, for better or for worse, in the pantheons of history. So I figure since we're going to be talking about Fallout games, uh, that would include like a couple of games here that certainly uh, speak about Fallout, like whether it be uh, you know, related in some way or is actually a Fallout game, uh, starting off with Wasteland. So Wasteland is a 1988 role-playing game by Interplay. Despite the game's critical and commercial success, a proper sequel would not be seen until 2014 with Wasteland 2. It was one of the first games to feature a persistent world where changes made in an area were stored and kept to found later. And Fallout was called a spiritual successor to Wasteland when it was released in 1997. Uh, so, so Tay, like I was, I was kind of curious actually, you know, so, since you are like a huge Fallout fan, if you actually played Wasteland, whether like originally when it came out or if you went back to it. I actually didn't play it when it first came out. I only heard about it, uh, like probably years, probably like maybe four or five years ago when I was just like, just reading up on like Fallout lore. And like, I had read something about someone had said, oh yeah, you know, like it's like Wasteland was like, kind of like something that kind of like inspired the Fallout franchise. So I went ahead and like peeked at it and I thought it was really good. It was really, it was well-crafted and I was kind of surprised that, you know, there wasn't really anything that came out of that aside from that just like i think maybe there was like a sequel that was announced in 2014 or something yeah there was like supposed to be like some kind of like sequel that was being made and then shortly before it got released it like i think like activision like decided to not have it be part of the lore so it just kind of all of a sudden turned into its own thing that wasn't as successful pretty much um, and then there was, I think, supposed to be like a proper sequel to come out. And then that got canceled, I think. And, uh, you know, we just, we just wouldn't see it until Wasteland 2. Yeah, actually, I've never played Wasteland. I, I, I kept hearing stuff about it, but I just didn't have the proper computer at the time. So, mm. yeah, I mean, I wouldn't mind giving it a try. It's just, I don't know. It's back then I wasn't really, I was more in like NES stuff. And sure. I almost, I don't know, would Wasteland be the sort of game that would work on an NES or does it require like commands and stuff like that? It would, I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm like trying to think yeah. now as far as like the processing power. Like I'm thinking it wouldn't work on the NES just because of, um, again, like just being able to kind of like remember, um, you know, when, when like when you like make changes like in the world pretty much. Like I don't think the NES just had the uh, technical capability really to uh, have that persistent memory basically. Uh, mm-hmm. So that was, was kind of like a big selling point I know like with, with Wasteland. Uh, I only played a little bit of myself. I think I played like a demo or something in some demo disc like back in the day. Um, but it was never like a game that I totally got into just because I just never owned it. Um, but I've always been curious to kind of go back into it because I believe it's on Steam. Um, I know it did come out on Steam, but I think it might still be on there. And there is Wasteland 2 that, that, you know, that did come out. And there is actually supposed to be a Wasteland 3 that's supposed to come out next year. Um, so there is certainly like a lot of love for this style of game. If you're kind of craving that old school fallout love and you're kind of curious on where it all kind of came from, uh, you know, you, you, then you should definitely check out Wasteland. So. Okay, just something to keep in mind there, because it definitely looks like an old school style role playing yeah, adventure. It definitely I just is. Didn't, yeah. I didn't know if it, you know, if it would run on old school machines. 
Jennifer Hurts check, I guess. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, I, I, you know, again, I would probably like suggest to kind of check out like steam, I think just because like there is uh, I think it was like a remaster possibly, but um, it, it should be on there. So it'd be easy enough to find, I'd say. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that'll, that'll lead us into the next uh, game here in the stage of history, which is fallout three. So this is a 2008 action role-playing game by Bethesda game studios. The dog character dog meat makes a return from the previous games as a companion. Actor Liam Neeson was the voice of the protagonist's father, and the game met with controversy in a few countries, such as Australia, over the ability uh, over the ability to get addicted to alcohol and drugs, India for the mutated cattle being named Brahmin, and Japan for the nuclear bomb weapon being named Fat Man. So, uh, a lot of historical significance, cultural significance with those names, and uh, you know, and all that. I know Australia uh, specifically with the uh, with the drugs and alcohol thing. There's kind of very um, very touchy with anything that I don't know they deem could be replicated by the youth over there, and so like they're very hard on like media in general over there. Uh, if you look at like their history with with games, period, like we, we could certainly do a whole episode on just Australia's limitations with gaming. I think, um, but yeah, like I, you know, with Fallout Three, I mean, the, this was kind of like the the you know like the the, the franchise really coming to to uh, to like full steam ahead. Really, um, like a lot of people. I feel like didn't really know much about Fallout outside of like your big time PC players back in the day. Um, and then Fallout 3 came around and just blew people away because like, you know, one, you have Bethesda behind it and they, they already had like successful games like Morrowind and Oblivion. Um, so having having Fallout 3 come out with like, you know, basically the same type of gameplay, but with guns and like with um, with the whole VAT system and uh, just, you know, just a different setting entirely instead of just the same old fantasy kind of setting with dragons and whatnot being in post-nuclear apocalypse, basically. It's uh, it, it was a really, really cool change of pace and certainly the type of setting that I was I felt more akin to. because I, I, I like that setting more than fantasy setting in general anyway, personally. Um, and yeah, it's it just really cool to, you know, to, you know, to see. So, uh, Robert, I was kind of curious on uh, what your thoughts were when you first saw footage for Fallout 3. I'll tell you, I was a little bit blown away because this would lead Bethesda down its new direction of like story-driven game. Because you know, it, it, before that, you know, they they did have their favorites and everything, but I think Fallout Three helped push them in the new direction that you know eventually would bring back Wolfenstein, would introduce Fallout Four, would introduce like all these different games that they tried out that would really involve the player more. And I feel like Fallout 3 was a big step forward in getting players more involved. And you know, and now we're what on the eve of seeing what Fallout 76 will do. So I mean just like almost to the point of 10 years later we're getting kind of a return of that revolution. Even mm -hmm. though this is going to be more of a it, it's going to have story and everything but it's also going to be like more oriented toward online stuff. But I am excited to see just what what kind of return to form because I'm going to QuakeCon next week as well, so they'll probably have Fallout 76 there in some capacity, and I would like to see what kind of um, quote unquote revolution it brings, like Fallout 3 did. And, and what's really impressive about Fallout 3, I, I, this is something a lot of people don't talk about, is what its downloadable content did, because yes. you know yeah. it, it really added some tremendous value, especially if I believe it was Broken Steel, because by the time that came out. You didn't have an endpoint in the game. You could actually go beyond where your endpoint was and just explore a little bit further if you want, which I thought was a really neat idea. Yeah. Um, and then on top of that, we had what Operation Anchorage, we had the Pit, uh, Mothership Zeta. I think mm -hmm. the other one was 
point lookout, something like that. I think um, so. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, like just with that downloadable model. I mean, yeah, some companies take the downloadable model a bit too far. You know, like I don't know what the Black Ops Four season pass is going to look like, but I did like the fact that every piece of downloadable content that Bethesda worked on for Fallout Three kind of extended the story to great to really a great new height. I, I really enjoyed how much further it went. And I would, I'll tell you, I'd love to see a revisit of this with like mm. a Fallout 3 definitive edition for like Xbox One, PS4. That was rumored, I remember. Yeah. Nintendo Switch. Yeah, you know, why not? Switch. Yeah. <laughs> but then we, <laughs> then we can get that system, right? Mm-hmm. Tay, am I, in, am I in the right track here in terms of talking about 3? Oh, no, you're, you're absolutely right. And just piggybacking off of what you said about the DLC for Fallout 3, and even just like on its own, I think Fallout 3 was a very beautiful work of art. I mean, obviously the game has not aged well. And so, so even when I still go back to play it now, like I still kind of cringe just a little bit just because, <laughs> I mean, it has not aged very well. And it, yeah. even when it came out, it to me, it felt a little dated just in terms of like how grimy it looked. But, I mean, it was still a good game nonetheless, and the DLC itself was added twice as much more value to the game itself. And it, and being, like, obsessed with the lore as I was, I was really glad to, like, dive deeper into the pits of the Fallout lore, and I was glad that, you know, Bethesda was just keeping up with that lore. Because, I mean, when people look at, like, Fallout lore, some people, you know, kind of neglect to look at the first two games. And, you know, it was a fun fact. Um, we Most people probably don't know this, but in the first Fallout game, they actually tell you a little bit about the backstory on what created Iguan. There was like a side quest for it. And Mm. when you really think about it, so I don't want to give too much about the lore of that whole story because I could go for about 20 minutes on it. But basically, (laughs) to sum it up, it is not actually iguana. Surprisingly, it's actually human. It's human. Of course. (laughs) (laughs) Makes sense. (laughs) Another thing, when you bring up the graphics, I think Todd Howard was saying once like they, they wanted to make the world a lot bigger than it actually was, but he was worried that was going to throw off the development for a few few more years. Mm-hmm. So I think in parts of it, yeah, parts of it didn't age well. But I think it's more about the gameplay experience and the storytelling. Yes. Yeah. I think I those think are the big aspects that really, um, really stand out for a game like uh, like Fallout. I, like also, I think like a big reason why you know why that game or why like a lot of Bethesda games just don't age well. Period. Honestly, is just because of that engine. Like that engine is kind of meant to just be you know, just kind of give you like this big sprawling world, like where like, you know, anything can pretty much happen more or less. And you have like, you know, maps that just, get, that just kind of get bigger and bigger. And um, I feel like with like Fallout 3, I mean, like I, I still like enjoy that world. I enjoy that kind of like grimy post-apocalyptic kind of world. Um, but like even back then, as you mentioned there, there Tay, like, you know, even back then it felt like a bit dated, I guess, even compared to like other games, just because it's just a different type of game. It's a different type of engine at play. And Bethesda is not known for making engines that make like super, super pretty games. It's just more about making games that kind of like Grand Theft, you know, kind of like Grand Theft Auto in the sense that there's kind of like making like these big sprawling worlds for you to kind of like just go around and just do whatever in and have fun very much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, sometimes that's what it's about. I mean, like graphics are nice and everything, but I'd rather have a, an experience that sticks. I mean, I, I still play Tempest from 1980 and nowadays the graphics look incredibly primitive, but screw it. It's Tempest. I'm, I'm in. That's mm-hmm. how it works. Sometimes the right game can just hook you no matter how grimy it may look. <laughs> sure yeah although honestly it'll be a bit hard to remaster tempest i guess to make yeah, it well they tried you know, we got tempest 4000 but now the problem yeah. with that is like when shoot- 
interrupting enemies. The screen's tripping out, and I'm wondering, wait, did I get drunk again? I, 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 I cut back on drinking. What's going on here? You know, Someone slipped you a Mickey there, yeah. Uh, I knew it. <laughs> I blame Jeff Minter. Jeff! <laughs> <laughs> That's going to lead us now into Obscura. And uh, for Obscura, I kind of wanted to, to follow the same path of Fallout games. But I wanted to go in a different direction, and I wanted to talk about Brotherhood of Steel. Uh, this is not really your typical Fallout game. In fact, I'd probably say this is more along the lines of, uh, what was that series? Dark Alliance, Baldur's Gate. Something like mm-hmm. that, but with a Fallout setting. More tactical. Uh, original, sense, yeah. yeah, tactical. It's an action role-playing game. It was actually developed by Interplanar Entertainment. It was not done by Bethesda. And uh, it, it is set within the Fallout universe. It, it's more of like a an action sort of based game. I mean, it does have different elements where you can feel like certain parts of the fallout world. You got characters that really um, make a difference in terms of fending off raiders or, or doing something in this post-apocalyptic world. But I really enjoyed like the depth that this game offered, despite the fact that, you know, it wasn't a traditional fallout. Like for instance, uh, there are skills that you can pick up in the game, uh, but they're not like typical fallout skills. They're, they're more like tied in with perks. So the player can actually level up and then they receive skill points and then they can buy the perks that they want to make certain things better. Uh, and this is across, I believe, they call it the special attribute assignment system. Now, special actually meant something. Strength, perception, endurance, charisma, intelligence, agility, luck. Mm-hmm. That was kind of like the whole system like kind of used to uh, to like upgrade your characters for sure in that way. But I, th- I, th- I think it was just kind of used differently in Brotherhood of Steel, if I remember correctly. Yeah. See, I did enjoy this game and the various characters, that you could be, but it, it didn't sell well. The, the problem was it is like it didn't have the same appeal as like the earlier Fallout games in the series at the time. People wanted something else from it. And that's kind of sad because at one point in time, Fallout Brotherhood of Steel 2 was actually in development. Mm. Uh, it was uh, supposed to be done again by Interplay and it was actually almost completed when it got canned. And it would have brought back a lot of the characters from the main game. It would have introduced a new Raider group called the Cyphers, who aren't fans of technology, apparently. Um, so it could have gone in a whole new different direction. And it probably would have come out just not too far off from the original Brotherhood of Steel. But, you know, I, I think that part of the story ended up getting buried now, especially with Fallout 3 and Fallout 4 and Fallout 76. So it's just one of those things I really wish they'd revisit, even with like an HD version. Because I would play HD version of Brotherhood of Steel. I'd enjoy the hell out of it, especially if that had like co-op or what. I think mm. it'd be really great to see that. I think the original version did have co-op, but I'm talking like online co-op. Getting right. a good battle group together, that would be a lot of fun. Um, so, do you, either of you uh, play Brotherhood of Steel at all? I did, actually. Mm-hmm. What'd you think? I liked it. It was a different change of pace for its time. Uh, I mean, I wasn't it's not like one of my favorite games in the like fallout, like, you know, like in the whole franchise. Uh, but I would definitely say I like playing it more than fallout Two. I had my problems with fallout Two. It was, it did improve from like the first fallout game, but it still felt, I don't know. I felt it had a lot to be desired for, but in terms of just like the game you just mentioned, like, you know, fallout brotherhood of steel, like it was definitely a great game. It added a lot of lore and the brotherhood of steel is actually my favorite faction in the mm, franchise okay. so it was i was glad to see that there was you know a game like that that focused on that faction because it adds more character to it overall yeah and just seeing you know interplay do something different i, I thought that was interesting because it, it kind of makes you wonder like what would happen if say bethesda called in a different studio to work on an original fallout game 
you know, if, if they understood the lore, mind you, don't bring in somebody, you know, like like these shitty or whoever developers, but bring in people who actually care about the franchise. You know what yeah. I mean? Mm-hmm. I think something like that would work. Um, David, did you play Brotherhood at all? Uh, only like a little bit of it. Uh, I, I barely remember it, to be honest. Um, I do remember playing like a little bit, maybe again, like in like a demo kind of fashion. Um, I just don't remember too much of it, to be honest. But um, I, you know, I, I did find it funny, like how this was the like, the last Fallout game we got until Bethesda got the franchise and made Fallout Three. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously there was kind of like a huge uptick uh, in, in you know in its popularity after that. But um, otherwise, like Fallout was always kind of like a franchise that like I always thought was intriguing because of its setting. Again, the post apocalyptic set, you know, the post apocalyptic setting uh, was just um, was just very like endearing to me. But um, yeah, like just like the games themselves, like didn't quite hook me in um until fall three kind of came around although i was certainly aware of them so um but yeah like with with brotherhood of steel um you know like you know like it's it's it, like i guess like it, it's it's kind of more goes for like more of like an action setting like I, I was saying before i was more like tactical but there was actually a uh, fallout tactics brotherhood of steel as yes. well mm-hmm. uh, which is like a completely separate game so um yeah we'll, we'll definitely kind of you know get, get you know we'll get into that like once we kind of jump into like the main topic here soon but um but yeah like there are like a lot of like different kind of spin-off games like that like throughout the fallout franchise and you know especially now like as like the franchise has only gotten more popular under bethesda's rule mm-hmm. so yeah i mean it's really great just to see these little um these little parts tie in with an overall general story and even though you know they're probably not in bethesda's lore now it, it is kind of cool just to see something like that just pop back up you know for sure war war never changes so that's gonna lead us now into our main topic here which is basically looking back on the fallout franchise and uh you know so you know i figure we'll kind of look into like you know the early games that are like pre-bethesda as well as like the the transition of the series going into first person from its isometric uh, like roots and uh, also going into like our favorite memories, and we'll also have like a bunch of like um, uh, of like listener responses too, uh, with like their uh, with with their favorite memories as well. Um, but yeah, like uh, you know, I figure we'll kind of start off here with you know with the mega fan here with Tay. Um, so Tay, like I was kind of curious, like what was your first introduction to Fallout? What made you just fall in love with the series to begin with? Well, I started out when actually I started playing when Fallout Three came out. And I, you know, I loved the game so much. And I was like, wait, 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 this is the third game? Where the hell is the other two games? (laughs) A lot of people had that same question too, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, you know, um, so I wasn't, I wasn't like a fan from the start, which kind of upset me. But like, when I think about it, like I was younger, so I wasn't, and I was playing PC games when I was like a little kid, but not as much. I was like mostly playing, you know, home consoles and my Game Boy Color. (laughs) Right. But, you know, when I, you know, I decided to seek out the first two games but i definitely remember like when i had my xbox 360 and i i don't even know how i think i maybe i saw a review of it on x play and i was like wow fallout 3 looks fun i was like i really want to play this game (laughs) so (laughs) i played that game and i'm like really big into like just like the narrative of games and things like that so like the lore was really appealing to me and i you know i liked how the setting it felt very realistic because i was like something like this could actually happen obviously not in the same exact way but something you know having like this post-apocalyptic nuclear wasteland like that could really happen and just the whole like concept of this like somewhat spiritual alternate reality was really appealing to me so when i you know when i sought out after the you know the first two games i was like what the fuck is this like it's just the different gameplay and all that so it took me a bit of a curve 
Mm. But I man like the first like hour I was playing the first Fallout game, I kind of just like sucked it up because you know even though the game like the actual gameplay of it was not what I was hoping for, I really wanted to learn more about kind of like the story and like how everything came about. I wanted to learn more about like certain things that happened and like Fallout Three that were slightly touched upon in like the first Fallout game and just like you know building that foundation and things. Uh, so. Yeah, I mean, because I, I know for me, like going back to Fallout 1 and Fallout 2 after experiencing Fallout 3, because um, I, I knew that they were isometric games. So I was kind of prepared really for a um, like a big, bit of a jarring gameplay experience in that regard, uh, as well as, well as kind of, you know, just going back to older games in general. I mean, like, you know, you had Fallout 2 come out like two, you know, uh, was it 10 years before Fallout 3 came out in uh, 1998. So, um, yeah, so, so with these games, uh, it, it felt like, you know, and correct me if, if I'm wrong here, Tay, since, you know, since obviously you, you've kind of spent more time like with, with the old, with the older games than I have. Um, like, would you say that, that I guess like the spirit of like those older games were very much transitioned into Fallout 3 and Fallout 4 going, going forward? Absolutely. I, I mean, of course, like Bethesda, since Bethesda had acquired the rights to the, you know, the franchise, it, they definitely decided to, you know, take some liberty of making their own things. But a lot of the lore and a lot of the things that were, you know, introduced in the first game, I could see them being transitioned over into, you know, the games from Fallout 3 and onward, like a lot. Of, and, you know, and even if you don't like see it, it's obviously there, but maybe it's just because I'm such a big like Fallout nerd, but, you know, having the vault dwellers and the vault suits and all that stuff, like they still brought those back. They never, they didn't change them. I mean, they just like, they put their own twist onto it and made it like their own, like their own thing and made it original to Bethesda's Fallout games. But the fact yeah. that the concept of just like the vault dweller, the vaults and just you know the vault suits like <laughs> the trademark of like everybody even if you don't play fallout like everybody you know every gamer knows what the vault suit is oh yeah well, it's very iconic like especially like with the uh you know with like the vault boys they would see like in the, in the promotional materials that yeah. they're like, they like part of that lore as well um but even like under the hood too like just like the role-playing mechanics and the systems that are in place like i felt like those were very much transitioned over as well they had, uh, they were. When, yeah when, when the games went to went to uh, went to first person so yeah i mean i mean i know that when fallout 3 came out the fans were very divisive. I know a lot of fans that loved the first two games were pissed off. Uh, the ones that loved the first two games were opened it, welcomed it with open arms. And, you know, having the chance to play, you know, the games that were developed by Interplay, so the first two Fallout games, and then playing Fallout 3, Fallout 4, New Vegas, and, like, all those, you know, everything onward, I would say that, yeah, I mean, I could see why the old school fans would be pissed off at the change of gameplay. But honestly, I think it had to have happened because... You know, I mean, could you imagine, you know, having that game go out on the PlayStation 3 and the Xbox 360 and they still kept that same kind of gameplay mechanics? It just wouldn't. It wasn't going to hit a mainstream audience. What I think is Bethesda wanted to make this game a triple A franchise and they did that with, you know, and, you know, changing the way that, you know, changing it to like a first person and changing it from a RPG to an ARPG was needed to it needed to happen. They wanted to make this game appeal to a wider audience. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, I mean, and if they had decided to keep it strictly on the PC, like they did with the first two games, like Interplay did with the first two games, I can understand maybe why, you know, the fans would be pissed off at the change of that. But because they targeted a bigger audience, they had to find a, some common ground. 
And I think they made a very smart move on that. And, you know, people can say all they want about like, or specifically fall old school fall fans can say what they want, but I think it was a very strategic move that paid out massively. You know, I, I mean, all those fans, I mean, you know, Bethesda didn't forget about them. They did make that little, what was it? The fallout collection in that little atom bomb style case. Oh yeah. Yeah, they did. That's right. Yeah. So, I mean, they, they didn't like hate on the PC audience. I think they just wanted to spread the widespread appeal of fallout they they wanted more players on board they wanted players to really enjoy it and even though it was different with a controller than it is say with the keyboard i mean i i still think the that they hit the right note there like you said taylor it was a matter of just making sure it was the right time for the series to make its debut you know what i mean yeah for sure for sure yeah and um yeah like you know because honestly like as you mentioned they're they're uh they're two tay like with uh, just like that style of game not really kind of working uh you know in, in you know in that in that gaming market back then like in 2008 um it just like makes sense too because like that that isometric style of game i mean like it's very diablo-esque in a sense and just like that style of game just it's just more at home like with like a mouse and keyboard and you're just not going to be able to get the same kind of reception especially you know again there's we're we're in an age like with like you know 3d you know th- with 3d graphics and being able to have like you know with like open world and being able to kind of like explore and be very immersed into it and Bethesda were, were already kind of like masters of that anyway with their Elder Scrolls games. So it just kind of made sense to like, you know, when they did acquire uh, the Fallout franchise um, to basically make um, Skyrim with guns, you know, for, for, you know, for lack of a better term, like, uh, you know, at least that's quoted by uh, Adam Kovic, I know, for a funhouse. Uh, that's kind of like his one claim to fame as far as like calling a fall, you know, calling Fallout Skyrim with guns. Um, and uh, you know, it, it's... <laughs> Yeah, it's true too, and like it, it just worked out so well as far as like just bringing that kind of um, that first person action role playing kind of gameplay, but also still uh, still kind of bringing a bit of a tactical side of it as well. Like when they introduced the whole VAT system, because that that was very much like a new part of of like the fr- you know, the Fallout franchise in general, and uh, that was kind of like the big you know the big game changer because like it was just cool being able to move around in the first person kind of setting your own open world, whatever. But once you come across like an enemy, you basically just hit a button and then you can start like kind of tactically deciding which body parts to like knock out and like, you know, take out like, you know, say like their legs or whatever and slow them down or cripple them or like, uh, or, you know, or like shoot like the weapon out of their hands. So now they're, they're disarmed or shoot like their, their head. And now they're blinded. Um, it's just like things like that were, were like really cool. And obviously it was very kind of gory to kind of go along with it too. So it's got the slow motion gameplay as you like, you know, shoot like someone's like head off and they turn into like chunks or whatever. It's like a super mutant, uh, kind of like falls over and stuff. It, it's just really, really cool. And you know, even though, you know, again, like, you know, I, I mentioned before, like with that sort of, uh, that sort of engine that Bethesda is known for, it's kind of like dated <laughs> in a lot of ways. It made for a lot of hilarious effects that, um, you know, that, Certainly, Todd Howard himself, like the the director for the games, like you know, certainly kind of made note of like even recently at E three, since like, <laughs> and you know, there may have been some bugs in our games before. Some people found out some cool, like you know, interesting quirks that we weren't quite uh, expecting when the game game when the games were, were released. But that's also, I feel like, kind of part of the fun with those games is the fact that you really do feel like anything can happen, and that's not even just in the game world; it's also within the engine itself. So that's kind of the appeal of those games, at least for me, anyway. You know, so, um, but yeah, like, uh, I was kind of curious if you had any, any experience with, uh, with the early games also there with Fallout 1 and 2. Actually, no. <laughs> Believe it or not, I never really seen the first two Fallout games. I, I know it's a little bit shocking, but, you know, <laughs> some games, like I said, I missed out in the early PC era because I was a console man. 
you know, so I did see somebody trying to revisit them previously, but I think I gotten so used to Fallout Three that Fallout One and Two would be like, "That's it, that's, yeah, that's all I got. <laughs> that's it." <laughs> yeah, not, I mean, not to sound too old hat, but you yeah, know. right. My my biggest advice because people ask me all the time, they're like, you know, I really liked Fallout Four, Three was okay, New Vegas was pretty good. Should I go back and play the first two games? I said honestly. I was like, if you're not really big into the lore, I mean, and this is coming from somebody, like, if you've played three, four, and all of them, I, I, the only suggestion I would say would to, you know, play the first two games for the lore. Don't, I mean, that's pretty much what I would go back to at this point, because if you've already experienced pretty much Bethesda, or not even Bethesda, just Fallout at its peak, which, in my opinion, I think it hit its peak when, you know, three came out and mm-hmm. Vegas was groundbreaking in its own right. But, you know, going back to the first two games, I mean, it's nice to see, like, what started this massive beast that can't be fed. But at the same time, a lot of those people that are more so casual fans of the franchise are going to be disappointed when they play the two games and they're not going to want to play it all the way through. So, I mean, unless you're a big fan of Fallout and you're really invested in learning more about the lore of the universe, there's really no point in you playing those first two games just because. Yeah. So it's not just me then. No, no, I mean, I mean that—that's always been kind of like the point of, of like the divide. I feel like in the franchise, uh, you you do have those like hardcore fans who grew up with you know with like the first two games, and you know as you mentioned, mentioned their their tale, like they were like disappointed to see like the the switch over the first person like for Fallout Three, despite how popular it was, obviously, and uh, you know how well how how well done it was. You'll still have like those purists who just like think that it was uh, it kind of sullied the name of Fallout. I guess you could say, yeah. so it tainted the the franchise, and I'm like, huh. I was yeah. like, it saved the franchise. The fuck are it, you talking about? Yeah, it, it made people kind of realize that the franchise even existed for you know for a lot of intensive purposes. Like, yeah. so, especially for for people like us who are just kind of more console players anyway. And like, I don't like you know those games. Like, either you you experienced them where you didn't, and like a lot of those games you just kind of experienced because of word of mouth or what have you. Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. What the heck's a falls out? I don't know. <laughs> Fallout, Fallout. <laughs> what the fuck is a Fallout? Fallout, fall you fall out of bed. Is that the name of the game? Right. <laughs> Falls out, balls out. So yeah. <laughs> oh, that's a whole new game right there, Dave. That's a whole other game right there. Yeah, it's a spinoff that I don't think anyone wants to play. <laughs> but speaking on a side note, while we're talking about my favorite beloved franchise, I also wanted to point out I'm actually working on a couple of projects related to the fallout franchise uh because you know the you know the fallout 3 its 10th anniversary is coming up really soon and Mm -hmm. the 20th anniversary of the second game is actually going to be around the same time so i'm working on a couple of retrospectives for that and i'm also working on a editorial mini series focusing on the factions of fallout 4 don't want to give out too much detail specifically as to what this mini mini series is only a small few people know, like maybe three or four people know. But Ooh. let me just say, it really dives deep into the factions itself, and it definitely shows you that I really fucking love, <laughs> love this <laughs> franchise and that yeah. I will dive deep into it. So, you know, I'm, I'm not going to give you necessarily too much about it, but it is going to come out soon. I am, I actually originally planned on doing the editorial series to celebrate the, uh, you know, the anniversaries of Fallout 2 and Fallout 3. But now that 76 is coming out, I was, it, it was even more of an incentive for me to, you know, more of an inspire, I guess, to do it. 
Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. So like, so uh, pe- people will, will be able to, uh, to expect that on, um, on like tech Raptor soon. Yeah. Expect that on tech Raptor soon. I'm still working out just like, you know, when I'm going to have it out, but I want to have it out before 76 comes out. So, uh, you know, I'll probably have to give away a few of my weekends of my free time uh, to work on it. But you know, the idea that I have for it, and the few people that I have shared this concept with think it is a great idea. So, and uh, in terms of like writing and all that stuff, like I had, the, there's only been like a few people that have seen like a rough introduction paragraph. But in terms of like what I really want to say and what everything's going to go on in this mini series, that's all in like a little notebook that I have that I have not <laughs> shared yet. But it is really like I'm really fucking proud of it because I'm just like, wow, this is going to be fucking awesome. Like, uh, and I'm hoping that the fa- like fans of Fallout, and there's actually a couple of Fallout fans that I work with over at Tech Raptor. So I'm really hoping that they'll love it <laughs> as much <laughs> as I do because I'm really passionate about it, and I really think it's gonna be a really great like just project. And I think it's gonna uh, just I think it'll be great, especially since 76 is coming out soon. Fallout 2's anniversary is hit it coming soon. Fallout 3's anniversary is coming soon. Like it'll be great, especially since they already want to like Tech Raptor has you know we all agreed that we want to work on some Fallout content anyways to celebrate 76. So we're gonna have some stuff coming out really soon too. Don't want to go too much into it, but expect some a lot of Fallout content from the Tech Raptor crew. Very cool. Very yes. cool. It almost sounds like you should just like make like a whole book, honestly. <laughs> like just like everything Fallout, you know, it's like, like almost like a love letter. Novelization. Pretty much, yeah. At this point, so the, 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 um, yeah, that's that's um, that's really cool, though. So we'll definitely be uh, you know, be looking out for that there, there, Tay. Um, but yeah, I figure like we'll we'll kind of like close out uh, this uh, you know this like part of the show anyway, uh, kind of getting into like what our um, you know, what our favorite memories were like playing any of the Fallout games, basically. And as 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 we've like mentioned before, like pretty much anything can happen when you're playing a Fallout game. We're just like that's the <laughs> game in general. Um, but yeah, like uh, Tay, I'll, I'll have you start off, and then Robert, and then me, as far as like just like favorite memory or memories like playing a Fallout game. All right, so man, this is hard because I really want to talk about my experience with Fallout Four because Fallout Three is probably my first experience with you know the franchise. But some of my fondest memories, honestly, are with Fallout Four. <laughs> uh, I mean, I remember when I first got the game. I first got it on the PlayStation Four. I played the fuck out of that. Then I got it on the Xbox One. Played the fuck out of that. <laughs> then I bought it on PC because just strictly for mods. And <laughs> I mean, I don't want to go too much detail on how much I played Fallout Four, but I'm pretty sure I've played the fuck out of it. I have at least 200 hours combined through all the versions I have on it. And I'm still finding new ways to like play the game, especially with like the PC version. Cause there's like so many mods coming out, different content. There's actually a mod that allows you to, you know, signal the Minutemen. Like if you've played the Nuka world expansion, you'll know what I'm talking about, but there's like a mod on PC and I believe it's on the Xbox one too. Sorry, PlayStation four fans. The mods kind of suck on Fallout 4. <laughs> <laughs> I like, I, I'm going to just be transparent on that, but there's this mod that you know if you have the nuka world expansion you can you like you can call the minutemen to raid nuka world and take out the raider like all the raiders that are inhabiting nuka world and then you, <laughs> and it's fucking awesome wow and, 
And it's great because I know with some people, they, I mean, I just like on a side note with Nuka World, I think it was a great expansion. Uh, Far Harbor is actually my favorite one, but Nuka World is up there. And I liked how it did give that evil kind of like playthrough because I know a lot of people complained in the vanilla game and even with the DLC that there weren't a lot of kind of like true evil playthroughs. So, mm. I, it, you know, Nuka World gave, you know, those people some satisfaction in that end. But, it, you know, one of the best things that I thought was great was that I got to call the Minutemen, which was the faction I signed with initially, and they got to beat the shit out of those assholes in Nuka World, <laughs> and then we got to take it for ourselves. Like so, a battle you know, royal, I, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> also, Codsworth is the real MVP because he actually says your name, and I think that's, <laughs> that's great. true. So, like, when, when I named my first Soul Survivor Patrick, and everyone's like, why the fuck? did you name him patrick i said well he looked like a patrick like literally when the mirror like came out and you see his the soul survivor's face you're like i was like wow he looks like a patrick yeah <laughs> so that's why i named him patrick it spoke to you in that sense for sure so wait are we talking patrick from spongebob squarepants <laughs> <laughs> could be you never know uh <laughs> As far as my memories, God, I, I'm kind of reflecting back to Nuka World as well, but I don't go nearly as nuts as Tay, Tay over there. But I'll, <laughs> you know, I, I think to me, my favorite experience is still Brotherhood. I, I don't know why. I just really enjoyed playing that back when it was on the uh, PlayStation 2. I had such a good time. Because back then, I was really hooked on like the Dark Alliance style of game. Fallout 4 also did a pretty good job of kind of like getting me involved in stuff, especially when it came to building and just like beating the shit out of mutants in the middle of nowhere it was mm. so good you know so <laughs> or at, like having your settlers like in the wasteland workshop like having your settlers get fight a fucking death claw with nothing but their bare hands <laughs> come on let's get them boys <laughs> the balls on these guys jeez <laughs> talk about balls out right there there it is <laughs> Falls out, balls out. <laughs> so, uh, as far as my memories, I mean, I, I do have to mention blowing up Megaton um, in, in Fallout Three, uh, and like afterwards, like like when you go back to Megaton, like seeing like the crater, basically, um, you see like some of the some of the town settlers uh, settlers there who are now uh, basically ghouls themselves, uh, which is really neat. Uh, just like ghoul versions of themselves. Uh, at least like one of them too was the. Um, it was kind of like that nice like inventor lady. Uh, I forget her name, but she, she was kind of like the nice lady who like all of a sudden you know turn into a ghoul after you blow up her town she's like none the wiser to like what you did and she's still asking you for favors basically uh <laughs> which is just like really dark and creepy in that sense but uh there was that and also for me personally it was also just finding real life boston locations in fallout 4 since fallout 4 it does take place in boston my hometown um so it's just really cool just to just explore the world basically and see what bethesda did as far as recreating some of those like landmarks and just you know areas basically around uh, around my hometown um, one, one of the coolest parts of it actually was the fact that they actually had a um, they actually re, re, uh, recreated Mike's Pastries, which is a very famous pastry shop in the North End here. Um, so when, when I went into like basically the North End area of the map and I was like looking around, I saw the shop like right there, like when I went around a corner and I just I, I saw it. And when I went in it, it's like this is Mike's Pastry. This is exactly how it's laid out. It's just insane that they got that level of detail in there. Um, same thing too. Like if you go to uh, to basically where like the public gardens are here in Boston, and that's like where you where it's uh, like in the game anyway. It's all kind of like an irradiated swamp more or less, and so. When you get there, you have to face like this giant monster that's basically made out of like swan boat parts, basically, <laughs> um, which just 
like freaked freaked me the fuck out like like the, like the first time i saw that like it was just insane like and when you when you actually kill them too like you, you actually take like the swan bow parts like off of them too or at least you know you're able you're able to anyway yeah. um but uh yeah that, that was just like insane to me just like the level of detail and the kind of like love that they did to to basically have boston be recreated as this uh as this wasteland more or less uh which is just really really neat for me anyway so that, that was kind of like a big highlight for me um, but we weren't the only ones who had some great memories, so I, you know, I do have like a bunch of a, a bunch of listener responses here. Um, starting off with the big damn hero, um, who is actually my buddy Johnny here. So uh, he says, making a character with ten luck and one intelligence, coming across the downed UFO right after leaving the first vault in Fallout One, and getting the alien blaster to start. <laughs> so uh, luck, I guess, like went like a long way anyway in the uh, the first game there. Uh, Douglas Hunter here who says I killed some stuff and walked around didn't we all <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> Joseph Walker here who says nuking the town in Fallout 3 that was a defining next gen moment at the time that was, that was certainly a big moment I feel like in uh, Fallout 3 when, pe- when people first start out uh, Derek Hollick, who says that giant hermit crab in Fallout 4, which I definitely uh, can can agree with. Uh, those hermit crabs in general were just like a nightmare to face against, uh, especially when you have like a whole bunch of them that's kind of facing you if you're in uh, like Fallout 4 and the... Um, uh, was it like there's kind of like basically in the Boston Harbor uh, part of the map more or less and so it's just like a bunch of giant mutated her- hermit crabs basically just chasing after you and it's just a nightmare because like you have to hit them in like certain parts otherwise like their shells basically knock off your bullets so um, yeah so that, that was definitely a nightmare there for sure just facing them uh, there's also uh, Takio Sanchez who says playing all the way to the end of the first game and thinking I did everything right only to be told you can't go back into the vault I remember being so pissed <laughs> <laughs> yes! Oh my god! I said, what the fuck? This ungrateful little prick made me come out here, and now he's telling me I can't come back. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we don't know where you've been. We don't know what you what you stepped in out there. I know, yeah. <laughs> uh, there's also John Michael here who says, getting dog meat to survive Fallout 1 in the last area of the game, the Mariposa military base. I believe it is canon that he dies because they didn't expect anyone to beat the game with him alive. I, I remember that that being a thing, even though I didn't like play you know, play through the game up, up to that point. Uh, but I remember that being kind of like a thing, like where people will talk about like trying to get dog meat to stay alive, basically all throughout the end of the game. Um, and Kate uh, and we have Kate Goldfarb here who said, uh, who also like, responds to that uh, I kept dog meat alive in my playthrough too. That jerk required so many stim packs to keep alive through the mer- through the military base. So, uh, so obviously like a big challenge there. Uh, Carl Hengen, who says blowing up Megaton as the sun sets, a sight to see for sure. Another iconic moment there. Uh, Tim Graham here says typing TGM in the command line, uh, which I, if I remember correctly, TGM stands for the God mode, uh, which is basically just invincibility more or less in the game. So uh, I can certainly understand um, having a memory of that. Uh, David Rowles here says stumbled across a funeral happening near a town. Can't remember where, and a death claw appeared and killed everyone. <laughs> so it's a funeral for everyone then at that point. <laughs> so uh, there's also our buddy Nick Shively who says nuking Megaton, uh, bl- blaming it on the people in the tower, and then releasing a horde of ghouls on them, which was another thing too. Because uh, I remember if you choose to blow up Megaton, uh, then you can basically talk with the person who basically asked you to to, uh, to blow it up in the first place, and he'll give you like a penthouse suite or whatever in his like high rise uh, tower. Or whatever um but you can also do like a um it was like some kind of like mission that you could do where you could choose to have like the ghouls that are like stashed away like in the basement or whatever 
come up and basically just like overtake like the whole the whole tower more or less. Uh, which, which, you know, which is like a, like a really cool quest. Like I, I love like the side quests in uh, in like Bethesda games in general. It's just re- really really cool. Um, and there's the last one here uh, by Anti Hamalenen. Uh, I'm gonna say, uh, smashing super sledge to a super mutant's face and watch him fly across the screen. <laughs> so, um, for those of you who don't know, the super sledge is basically like a rocket powered sledgehammer, more or less. <laughs> so it does a crap ton of damage and can certainly take out uh, pe- pe- um, it can certainly take out people's heads uh, if uh, if used right. So, <laughs> uh, so yeah, thanks to everyone who uh, submitted their uh, their memories there of Fallout. Uh, fallout games there it's uh, much appreciated a lot of good ones there uh so that's gonna lead us now into a game code here from you robert uh, yes i get a game code for a game called impulsion uh for players looking for the next portal type game in the first person platformer genre we think this steam pc game is close to matching that popular game it could challenge a new generation of players and speedrunners Impulsion is the first-person, fast-paced platformer where players can manipulate time, gravity, and speed by wielding two force-field pistols to navigate through challenging obstacles. And here's the code on Steam. It is FH0L6G5H00-3Z33C. That is for Impulsion on Steam. Enjoy. Indeed. And that's going to lead us now to the part of the show called Random Select. So this is a yes or no 15-question game to guess which video game character that Robert is this week. Uh, so basically, this is going to be a character who is in a game or that we mentioned them uh, explicitly within this episode. Um, and basically, it's going to be Vite um, and I, I'm acting as a team, asking the yes or no questions uh, to guess which video game character that Robert is. So um and yeah so if, if after uh if after five questions we don't get it then robert will give the first hint after 10 questions he'll give the second hint and if after 15 questions that we don't get it then it's game over as raul julia would say so um uh are you male no no okay so female character or maybe a non-gender character ah okay all right uh let's see are you <laughs> trying to think. are you a human no. Okay. So I guess like the next logical question would be, are you from the Fallout universe? No. Okay. Hmm. Good to know. Are you an anthropomorphic player? Or like an animal or something? Yeah. Uh no. Okay. Yeah. Um do you use weapons at all? Mm. I do not physically use weapons, but I could still kill you. Okay. <laughs> so, so, ba- so basically, no. <laughs> yeah, basically, basically, no. Yeah. Basically. Okay. Ooh. Oh, so, man, I'm trying to think. What's the. Yeah. Well, that's, that's five right there. So Robert has the first hint. Uh, oh, the first hint. I get annoyed very easily. Mm. Uh, well, I we know that. So. <laughs> no, that was the hint. <laughs> Although I relate. How about. <laughs> i'm stuck i'm really stoked um, well I, I i guess for sake of uh just trying to, to minimize it uh are, are you a robot of some kind yes okay so at least we know that for certain so like a robot um doesn't use weapons why was i about to just unleash my inner arthur maxon and be like are you a synth <laughs> 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 a good one it's a good one um so robot of some kind not in the fallout universe either oh man that's really hmm but again like it, it has to be like a character yeah it's somebody we mentioned over the court it, it's 
from something we mentioned over the course of the show. So it's not necessarily Fallout. Mm. It's got to be something. Be- They're looking over the notes. What did we talk about? What did we? What did we- uh, is, <laughs> is it? Is it? Oh, wait, wait, wait. I think I got one. Is it? Are you a character from the Portal franchise? Yes. Oh, that's a good, good question there. Good question. Okay. Um, are you? Are you the main villain? Yes. Okay. <laughs> but, but you. But who? But who? Oh, okay. Oh, wow. Well. That's a good point. Um, yeah. You, you forgot. You forgot you, my name. <laughs> do you? Do you like to lie about cake? Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you're on the right track you might as well just find the name <laughs> oh yeah. my gosh do you have it there today no i'm trying to think i mean i can oh. give a name if you want here so go for it are you glados yes there you go <laughs> and, and, you know, I, I was gonna say glados i was like no it can't be i was like he wouldn't make it that easy well, actually, we haven't used Glados, so you know i thought i'd throw it out there my second clue was i'm a big i'm a big fan of pacific rim Oh, there you go. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I think I think that would have been the selling. Oh well, yeah. So yeah, that's uh, that's a uh, random select. And before we go, uh, we do have a couple of smaller stories that we're going to run through uh, really quick. Yes. Um, first off, uh, some interesting news here on the uh, Twitter front. Uh, Def Jam, uh, which is Def Jam Recordings. Uh, they've been doing some teasing there, David. They've been doing some teasing, suggesting they might be making a return to fighting games. Uh, they did not say specifically, but they did ask, like, hypothetically, who would you want to see in the cover of a Def Jam Vendetta game? And then today they asked, where would you want Def Jam Fight for to take place? Would it be Atlanta? Would it be Chicago? Would it be Los Angeles? Um, so they are teasing some. And quite yeah. frankly, it would be great to see another Vendetta. Although I really don't think EA would publish it because, you know, they're so busy anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so th- these are kind of like more like wrestling style games. And like uh, they kind of felt like spiritual successors really to the THQ Aki games in a lot of ways, which uh, which is really cool. Um, and honestly, it would be really cool to see that style of wrestling games come back in a big way. Like, you know, especially since we had like, um, was it w- uh, WWE All-Stars? Yeah. Um, it was kind of the closest thing to that, but uh, it, it was just really, really cool to kind of see more of that sort of like over the top sort of like wrestling fighting style game, and um, you know, and especially with like the, with the Def Jam, uh, you know, just like license as well, just because like it, it was very popular. You know, I know those games sold really well, um, and yeah, it'd be really neat. And um, personally, like I would say, like I have those options. Uh, I, w- I wouldn't mind seeing a Def Jam Atlanta. Um, in this case, like I, I think Atlanta can bring like a lot of flavor, and we've we've seen like enough of LA and games anyway. So I think Atlanta would be kind of like a would, would make sense, and would also just be kind of like a fresh coat of paint, honestly, for the franchise. Yeah, and not to mention the fact that you know we, we need kind of a traditional wrestling. The last game that we saw in the series was uh, Def Jam Icon, and that was more like a straightforward fighting game. That was not a wrestling game, and it, it was okay. But after Vendetta and Fight for New York, we kind of expected wrestling. So, I mean, I would, I'd love to see a return to form. It'd be really cool. But uh, Def Jam is just going to keep teasing. I don't know what's going. On. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, they're, they're obviously like trying to kind of test the waters a little bit as far as like what fan reaction is like, and it seems like fan reaction has been pretty positive so far as like you know with the idea of a new Def Jam game so it seems likely we'll see something along the lines like shortly in the near future but um yeah Tay, I was kind of curious on what your thoughts are in like a new Def Jam game or if you've had any experience with the Def Jam games before 
I played uh, what was it, Def Jam Icon when that came out. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, I remember I saw a commercial for it. I was like, oh, this is cool. <laughs> and, so then I, and then I went to I went to the local the GameStop right by my house, and I was like, Mom, I gotta get this game. Take me to GameStop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, see, Vendetta was where you really needed to jump in, but I, I think Vendetta is actually kind of Peter's item now. Um, yeah, on GameCube Ooh. especially. So yeah, I mean it's. It's a really great gimmick for all these years. Plus, you know, how often do you get to wrestle DMX? Like, you know, right. X, X gonna give it to you. X gonna give it to you. For sure, for sure. I, mean, I can't hear that song anymore without thinking about and Morty. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know, right? There's a beating the shit out of it. Beating the shit out of yeah. so, it. <laughs> that was great. You know, Rick and Morty or Deadpool, honestly, for me. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Forgot all about Deadpool. That was fun, too. And then our other bit of news, uh, the NPD numbers for June just came out, and the top-selling console for the month of June 2018 was the <laughs> NES Classic. Yeah. It managed to outsell the PlayStation 4, the Xbox One, and the Nintendo Switch. Uh, this actually, Nintendo promised to make it come back you know, for summer, and it came out June 30th. So you're telling me in one day, <laughs> the NES Classic sold more units than the Nintendo Switch did all month. That's yeah. That, that's amazing. I mean, that's 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 you know honestly that's an attest to um to like its popularity to like its demand um but also because of like how how much cheaper the console is obviously compared to like the PS4, Xbox One, and Switch. Um, but it, it does you know it does kind of show that retro sells uh, especially for for Nintendo and um you know. I've said it before. I'll say it again. Nintendo just needs to carve out like a part of their company and just have that part devoted to retro gaming period, like anything retro related to like their older IPs to like, you know, making things like this with the NES classic SNES classic. Uh, they just need to, to do that. And it is great to see that more people have been able to get their hands on these. Honestly, uh, you know, I remember seeing a good amount of them uh, over the Amazon bookstore that's near me. Um, so like they're, they're available, they're around. And I, I believe they're on, they were on the, on Amazon too, uh, you know, like last time I checked as well. So um, they're, they're definitely a lot more widespread and available uh, now and people are gobbling them up and Nintendo, Nintendo is, you know, hopefully will have a lot more retro goodness for us in the future. So Taya, I was kind of curious on what your thoughts were with, uh, with the NES classic selling like hotcakes here. I'm not surprised, honestly. I mean, of course, you're going to have those who grew up with it and they're just like, oh, man, this makes me feel nostalgic. And then you have people like me that weren't even born when it came out (laughs) that are like, oh, wow. You know, and it's great because, you know, I know that with um, some people don't want to, you know, shell out some money to buy an NES, you know, like an actual NES. So, you know, being able to get a smaller version of of the NES with, you know, a bunch of games that are emulated on it, or should I say, actually, some of the best games, in my opinion, for the NES, like emulated on there, you know, I think was just great. It was, I was just like, wow. I was like, why didn't they do this sooner? Is what the real question is. Yeah, we 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 were asking ourselves like, the same thing too. And like it's uh it, it is great to see that Nintendo uh, I guess I like, finally kinda like you know take advantage of it in, in this sense and just really have like a hit here and then people are gobbling them up. So um yeah. yeah, so like you know, hopefully that you know this will lead into uh you know, as far as like what we uh what we kinda like heard as far as like rumors with like with, with an N sixty four classic or with like a Game Boy classic or possibly even like a GameCube classic maybe down the line, who knows? Um, but yeah, there's like a lot of like, certainly like potential that the Nintendo can kind of go like with the retro front. And so uh, it's really cool to see that these are selling well so far. I think it's glad. Yeah. Go ahead, Rob. 
I was going to say, you know, stuff like this just points out that we'll probably get the N64 classic sooner rather than later. I mean, there's so many people, especially like 90s kids like myself, like we fucking love the N64. Like, you know, there's an opportunity to bring that shit back. Of course, we're going to want that shit back. It seems likely that we'll see an N64 classic, but I'm just kind of curious with how it's going to turn out. And it has a lot of potential to be a huge disappointment. Um, one, because I feel like a lot of people don't realize how uncomfortable that controller is. <laughs> um, and so like how they're going to make like basically, um, I guess like a micro version of that to kind of like make that, you know, to make that work, to make that fit like in a smaller context um, is going to be interesting. And also how many games are going to be able to fit on it on there too, because uh, this is like the first 3D console from from Nintendo. So the games are obviously bigger memory wise. And mm-hmm. so the number of games that they're going to be able to fit on there, I believe, is going to be considerably lower. You might be looking at maybe like 12 or 13 games. If Actually, they said more like around 20. Did they? Okay. Yeah. And, and the thing to consider here is that we're probably not going to get stuff like, you know, Star Wars Rogue Squadron. We're definitely not going to get GoldenEye unless they can get all the rights figured out. So right. Yeah. yeah. We might get Perfect Dark. I don't know. But there's, there's a few that they're going to consider. But it'll definitely be home to sports games. Like we're thinking... You know, Mario Golf, Mario Tennis, you know, obviously Super Mario 64, Ocarina of Time. I mean, there's so many titles that could still go in there. But Do it you think Majora's Mask will be on there? I think so. I, yeah. I don't see why they would leave it out unless people get really messed up by that moon, which they might. Do you think if they had to decide, would they put Ocarina of Time or Majora's Max on on a, on both. a N64? Both for sure. I said, yeah, I said, I was like, well, I would think they would probably put both on there. But I was like, if you had to ask me what I think personally, what they probably would do, it's no contest. Ocarina of Time, if they had to choose between one. I was like, definitely Ocarina of Time. Sure, <laughs> no yeah. Contest. But, um... Yeah, I mean, GoldenEye is an iconic N64 classic, but the way it stands now, unless Nintendo alters it, like GoldenEye Reloaded did, Mm -hmm. um, there is no way they can make it. Because, I mean, they have to get the rights to the movie, to the actors, to the likenesses and all that. Yeah, exactly. You have so many rights that you're going to pay, and they're going to ask if it's worth it. Now, I know a lot of people that would say, hell yeah, that was a quintessential Nintendo 64 experience. Mm but like, would it be worth? I mean, like, I'm sure the N64 Classic would sell like hotcakes, obviously, but would it be enough to balance out the cost of all those franchises when you could easily have F Zero X, Star Fox 64, Excite Bite 64, which needs to be included because it's a classic. It's a mm-hmm. really good game. You know, th- there's just so many that could be thrown in in its place. So the real question is, would the N64 Classic succeed more with the GoldenEye, or should Nintendo just skip it? Um, I mean, just because of the amount of licenses, because as we mentioned, it's not just the Bond license. It's also Pierce yeah. Brosnan's like, like, you know, likeness. It's also, you know, you're probably looking at Sean music. Bean. Yeah, Sean everybody. Bean. Yeah, exactly. There's, there's a lot of different uh, components to GoldenEye, you know, you, no, despite how quintessential of a title it would be in any N64 library. Um, I think you're more likely to see Nintendo try to cut a deal with Microsoft and Rare in order to get Perfect Dark on there instead. Oh, yeah. Banjo Kazooie, yeah, get get those on there and it'll be fine. You know, get Super Smash Brothers, um, even get like uh, you know, what was Jeff Force Gemini? Yeah, 
I would, oh, yeah. Oh, and, you know, yes. there, are, there are more than enough games that could fill the void. Even I wouldn't say they're going to do Conquer. There's no way Conquer would be because it's mature. <laughs> well, but, they yeah. do stuff, but we have like Paper Mario, Wave Race. There, there are at least a dozen, 15 games they could, they could even throw in Pokemon Stadium and the people would go nuts. Maybe even Pokemon Snap. Oh, Pokemon Stadium. Ah. Yeah. Thing. I think we found Taylor's weak spot. Yeah, <laughs> we... I pl- I played the fuck out of that game as a kid. Like, I mean, when I play it now, I'm like, why did I-? I was like, it's not as good as I used to think it was. But when I was a kid, like, holy fuck, play it! Like, it was like, and don't even get me started with those fucking mini games, man. Yeah, <laughs> the sushi one though with the lickitungs. Oh yeah. Oh my god, I I almost like want to see like Tay go back to the. Come on, snap, then run down to Blockbuster every 30 minutes just to print out pictures. <laughs> <laughs> what? That was actually me as a kid because there was a Blockbuster not far from my house. <laughs> I think the best thing about Blockbuster for me was like buying, like, what was it, Indiana Jones for Nintendo 64 there mm. and Final Fight Guy there because those were the exclusive cartridges. But that's a different subject. We've actually went 20 extra minutes on this subject. This is great. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm sure we'll have like an NC for classic themed episode at some point down down the line like once something is like announced in that regard or just like yeah. hypotheticals whatever so and we can bring we can bring tay back and we could talk Yay. about stadium for two hours exactly <laughs> <laughs> and we can argue what's the best mini what's the best mini game for pokemon stadium it's not pokemon snap i don't care no i'm kidding <laughs> <laughs> i just like throwing I, I like throwing apples at the pokemon instead <laughs> oh it's animal or, abuse there. Or how, or how Professor Oak just had like a fucking heart on. Is that a Pikachu on a stump? Oh, Pikachu like, on a stump. Oh, so good. That's so worth it to me. Why is the whole robot? <laughs> Take that picture, <laughs> Professor oh, Oak. You sound, you sound very creepy as Professor. Never do that again. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> oh, that's really great. Oh man. Oh, Check. look at that Pikachu on a stump. Take a look oh. at that Pikachu. Oh, so good. And- <laughs> We should probably close out before this goes into porn territory. Uh, Too late. <laughs> uh, but getting hot with Pokemon. Getting, uh, uh, yeah, well, there's like a title for an episode there. Uh, so, uh, so that, that is our guest episode 122 pretty much in the books. Uh, is there any, oh, actually, Tay, why, why don't you tell us like where people could go like to find you online, like on social media and all your work? Oh, well, you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and Snapchat at Tay Nixter. That is T-A-Y-N-I-X-S-T-E are also i'm also the co-host of gamer nation podcast so if you want to hit us up on twitter at gamer nation pod you can follow us there if you don't if you can't remember the gamer nation pod uh twitter account it's on my bio description on my twitter page so <laughs> if you can't find that bio then i can't help you so <laughs> yeah Rip. um also a quick side note here uh this weekend it will be rtx austin and joining me will be don't feed the gamers only anna rupert she's joining me there rtx we're going to be doing some interviews with Troy Baker, Meg Turney, the What's Good Game Ladies. Uh, we're going to be talking with several different people. I'll get some interviews there. And then next week, Bethesda's inviting me out to check out QuickCon. And hopefully they'll have Fallout 76 there. I know they're going to reveal Doom Eternal gameplay. Uh, there probably have some other surprises as well. I'll talk to a few people there as well. Get some hands-on with Rage 2. So, yeah, we've got some uh, great content coming up in the next few weeks. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah, plenty plenty of like of interview material there for sure. So. Uh, we'll, we'll definitely have a lot there, and um, yeah, so that's pretty much what the uh, the episode there. So uh, if you want to find us on Twitter, we uh, we are at Arg Podcast. Same thing for Facebook, we're facebook.com slash Arg Podcast. And if you want to find me on Twitter, it's at the Guilty Man. Well, follow me on Twitter. It's at twitter.com slash dcd, and you can check them out comicbook.com slash gaming. <laughs>
Indeed, and uh, also if you want to find, uh, also like you know, you know, to keep in mind that we are partnered with Don't Feed the Gamers, so be sure to check them out at don'tfeedthegamers.com. That's run by our good friend Liana Ruppert. Uh, so be sure to show her and her team there some love for all their fan-centric gaming news and reviews, and also that's where you can find episodes of of the Arcast. So that's another place where you can find us. Um, and also, uh, you know, if you want to send, any, uh, send us any like uh, questions, any like um, any, you know, any like feedback, any like retro games you want us to cover, or anything at all, really, you can email us at rcast at retrozap.com. And be sure to check out retrozap.com for all sorts of other amazing podcasts, especially of the Star Wars variety. There is Brews and Blasters, Kanata's Castles, uh, Starship Sabers and Scoundrels, uh, Skywalking Through Neverland. There's also um, Beltway Bontas, which is really cool because it, it combines both Star Wars and politics. So if you're of both minds, it's definitely the podcast for you. There's also the Animaniacast. So if you're a big Animaniacs fan, there's stuff in the podcast for you. And they're also Raw Paulson approved. There's also the Deucecast Movie Show, so just like the title suggests, they are a movie podcast. So those guys have been doing it for over 300 episodes now. So be sure to uh, you know, just, so you know, they definitely know what they're doing over there. And uh, there's also the Techno Retro Dads. So if you love old school stuff, and of course you do because you listen to the Rcast, you love the Techno Retro Dads because they cover stuff in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Not only just video games, but also toys, commercials, things like that. And yeah, there's also us with Rcast. So be sure to find us on iTunes where you can give us five stars, subscribe, and tell your neighbors. We're also on Stitcher and also Google Play Music. So there's absolutely no reason to not listen to the Rcast. And yeah, that's Rcast episode 122 in the books. Until next time, keep it retro. And keep an eye out for David's new book, Fifty Shades of Pikachu on a Stump. <laughs> oh, Pikachu. So good. Give me that electric shock. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You're not a Bulbasaur. You're a Pikachu. Yeah. I got a Bulbasaur in my pants. <laughs> and that's my last episode of the show. <laughs> I'll expect your resignation letter at my desk tomorrow. <laughs> Good luck taking over because I'm out of here. (laughs) We will see you guys next week. Take care. Catch you later. Maybe you'll ask me to come back again. And maybe I'll say. Hey, I'm Chris Wilson. And I'm Dylan Gregory. And we host Backstage Gaming, a weekly podcast about video games and storytelling. We both play pretend professionally. Sometimes on stage with other people. And sometimes alone in a soundproof room. So join us every Monday while we talk about games, acting, and how a story comes together. Backstage Gaming. Dramatic takes on your favorite games. Part of the HP Video Game Podcast Network. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.